Good to see you here tonight. We're going to worship the Lord tonight. We're going to continue our study in the, the epistle of Philippians. I think we just got a few more weeks. Really want to thank the Lord again and just for those that were able to go to the outreach this past Friday and, and just for what the Lord did and how he met with us. We're going to be playing another one very soon, very soon. Uh, so we can be praying about that as well. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 10 through 13. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That last verse probably might, might be one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. I think people that aren't even Christians know that, that scripture and have heard of it. But Paul, once again, he's sharing his, his love for the Philippian body, for that body of Christ there, for the believers there. Remember, he's in prison in Rome, and he doesn't know what's befalling him. He don't, doesn't know what's ahead of him. Uh, God didn't show him that he was going to get out or anything like that. It's believed that he did get out of prison at, after this stay. He would later be brought into prison in Rome again where he would die, uh, be martyred for the Lord. And that's where he wrote Second Timothy and said, the time of my departure is at hand. But at this time, he's waiting either the outcome of his trial or he's waiting his sent sentencing. He's not sure what's going to happen. But the Philippians, above all the other churches, had ministered to him. A lot of times when, when people get, uh, you find out really who your friends are when you get into trouble. You know, Not that Paul did anything wrong, but he, per he was persecuted for, for Christ's sake. And some of the people, not, not saying they weren't Christians, but some of the people kind of backed off and, and didn't want to be associated with Paul. But the Philippian church did. And they sent, uh, let's just skip down. We're not going to study this tonight, but skip ahead to verse, uh, verse 18. I'm sorry. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So remember this whole epistle, it was delivered from Paul in prison back to the Philippian church by this leader, one of the main leaders in the church of Philippi was Epaphroditus. And he was like a leading, one of the leading elders. And the church sent a gift, like a financial gift to Paul in prison at the hands of this man. He traveled there. He got really sick on the way. He almost died. Uh, God healed him. The, uh, Paul was blessed by his visit. He was blessed by their gift. He sends the man back. Okay, and he sends them back with this letter that we're studying uh, of Philippians. And so he, he says he rejoiced because it made, it blessed his heart. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. That simply means, uh, everybody that I've studied says it simply means that they, they wanted to help him, but there was no way for them to help 
literally to get a gift to him. But they finally got the gift to him through Epaphroditus. So it's nothing more than that. But uh, they minister to him in prison. It says, your care of me hath flourished. That word care means uh, to interest oneself and have affection, to be disposed to, to regard, to think upon. And y'all, this is, we're going to talk about this this week and next week. It's a very wonderful, godly trait. It, to me, it's a fruit of the Spirit. To me, it's an evidence of, of salvation, of a true change of heart and life, that we have a genuine care for other people. Not the kind that you put on because it wins you some recognition or wins you some favor with people. But the true care that they would regard Paul, they would think about Paul. They were thinking about Paul while he's in prison. Okay, and the, Paul says, I believe Paul wrote uh, Hebrews, but it says in Hebrews, remember those that are in bonds as though you were bound with them. That's a good trait. Now, the, only the Lord can help us to do that, to really care for somebody like that and to love that way. But he's complimenting them for, the, for their care for him. And so they had, a, they had a heart to give and they gave. They had a heart to give and they and. And that's a godly thing. They gave a practical gift, which was money, a financial gift. And I can tell you that that can be um, any one that's laboring on the, on the fields for the Lord can tell you that a, a monetary gift, though it's a practical thing, it can be a great blessing. I would think that, say, for Paul in prison, that would be one less thing that he had to concern himself with. He could be freed up. To, to do whatever else he needed to do. So when they, the, this church blessed him time and time again, which we're going to talk about more next week. But that care for, for Paul brought him joy, more than just the gift, but the fact that they gave. You know what I mean? Whatever the gift was, it was. But the fact that they remembered him, thought about him when other churches were not, and reached out to him, it blessed his heart greatly. And he's saying, this is a wonderful thing. Not only does it bless me, but you're going to be blessed because you did this, okay? Because it shows this, this care. And so uh, let's just skip on to verse 11. We're going to spend most of our time on the next three verses. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And so <clears throat> he had learned this contentment. He was not He was not. Uh, begging them for another gift or for more money. He's saying that he's learned to be content. He thanked them for the gift. I'm sure it was a blessing, but God took care of him. And I, I read this in the commentary that giving was something that the Philippians had learned. Being content was something that Paul had learned. And I think both are things that we need to learn as believers. Amen. Giving was something that the Philippians had learned, and contentment was something that Paul had learned. How many of you know that this world is not content? People that are in the world, they're not content. I don't care how much money they have or whatever they have, it's, they're never satisfied. It's just a curse of, of the sinful nature of man not to be content. And, and Paul didn't know this. He learned it. He learned it as a believer. And he learned it by experience. I want you to uh, keep your spot there, but turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is just like a little snapshot or summary of some of the things that Paul had endured as a believer. 
None of this happened to him when he was lost, by the way. When he was persecuting Christians, none of this stuff happened to him, okay? Uh, verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And so in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he says, besides all these things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So Paul, Paul met the Lord on the Damascus road, right? And the Lord says, go, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Go in on into Damascus and it will be told you, told you there what you should do. And the Lord, uh, after three days of being blind uh, and he's praying, God speaks to this man who's a believer who goes and prays for him. He lays his hands for him, on him. He receives his sight. He receives the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and he, part of the prophecy or the word that the Lord gave the man Paul Saul of Tarsus was, I'm going to show him what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. I wasn't picking on him, but Paul wouldn't have traded it for anything. What he went through just kind of added to his account what he had stored up in heaven. Amen? What he went through, he got it. He understood. I'm suffering for Christ's sake. There's a fellowship. We studied in chapter 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his conformable to his death. So we just read in 2 Corinthians just a little brief snapshot of some of the things that he went through. But he learned by actual experience to bear those things. He learned to count them all joy for Christ's sake. Amen? And he did. He learned... And it says the believers in the, in the early church, when they were persecuted by the Jews, they were beaten, and then they were threatened, Peter and John, not to preach in his name anymore. And it says they departed, when they were let go, they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his great namesake. There's something that they got that we need to get. There's something that they understood and laid hold on that we need to understand and lay hold on, that we're not just suffering, we're suffering for the Lord. Everything here is temporal, but what we do here is going to affect our whole eternity. And Paul, all of it is a teaching lesson. All of it is a school of, of Christ. It's a school of learning. So he learned these things, and he learned to take it all joyfully for Christ's sake. By God's grace, we never see, in any of the epistles, we never see the Apostle Paul grumbling. We never see him complaining. We never hear him uh, like discontented and and saying so you know they don't give to me and they don't help me and poor me you never see that you just don't see it he lived in the presence of God and because he lived in the presence of God even in prison he lived in God's presence amen and because he did he experienced the peace of God which we talked about the last two weeks the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus 
when we cast all our cares on him. Then he says to think on these things that are good and lovely and the God of peace shall be with you. So he just talked about, he knows what he's talking about in prison. He's writing this and he's living in the presence of God and, and he's experiencing the peace of God. Regardless of his circumstances, Paul's heart and mind were at peace. Paul's heart and mind were at peace. And he was trusting in the Lord. I just want to read this from the Proverbs. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And I kind of picture Paul, even though he's in prison, he's having a continual feast because he's righteous and he's walking with the Lord and the Lord is with them and he understands this is what this is God's working, God's doing something. It's not just a prison cell. I'm in here with God. I'm shut in with God. This is his will for this part of my life. I'm learning. I'm growing. He learned contentment. Amen. It's a wonderful thing to learn. He was a good student. And I, he, he was a better student than I've been. And probably maybe many of y'all have been. Oftentimes when we're in horrible cir- circumstances, we fret. We fret. We, we fret. And, we, and then we remember the Lord and we go to the Lord finally. But we really need to learn, and we need to learn by these experiences that we're going through. Paul's joy arose from within, not from without. His a joy, remember that's a fruit of the Spirit. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Jesus said, he, I've, these words I've spoken to you that while I'm with you, that your joy may be full. He says, you're going to have afflictions in this world, but I'm with you. And my joy is with you. So he was totally independent of men, and he was totally independent of circumstances because he was fully dependent upon God. So he's freed up. They can throw him in prison. They could chop his head off. They could starve him. They could beat him uh, five times with stripes. They could beat him with rods three times, perils among his own countrymen, perils in the deep, and so forth. His, his joy and his peace did not arise from those things or from you know how wonderful the circumstances were it was totally independent of that and he's a wonderful example of that his life to read that and we think about just what we read in second corinthians 11 about all the things that happened besides that his deep care for the churches i want the church at corinth they're carnal he's praying for them he's wanting them to do well with god he's praying for the church at ephesus he's praying for these churches and he's got no, he's saying he's learned to be content. He's not complaining. He's not grumbling. He's not murmuring. And he's dependent upon the Lord. So he says in verse 12, I know both how to be abased. This is Philippians 4.12. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed. That means I'm taught. He's actually taught. So twice he's talking about learned and here being instructed. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And so he knew these things. Uh, I know how to be abased. You know what that means? It simply means I know how to be humbled. I know what it's like to be humbled. Remember, when he was, when he was in his B.C. life before Christ, when he was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law blameless and so forth, he was... He was the cream of the crop. He was admired. He was esteemed. He had power. He had authority. He had respect among people. He probably had wealth that went along with that. But he learned how to be humbled, to be, and it means to be 
abased means to be humbled or having very little. He found out what that was like too. And guess what? He learned to be content in that. He learned to be content in having very little. He learned to abound. That means to overflow with abundance, to have more than enough. I'm instructed, he said, to be both uh, full and hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Once again, Paul had been taught in the school of Christ. This was not a head knowledge. This, this what he's talking about is no head knowledge. And there's no real room in Christianity in this life for head knowledge. It, it is an experience that we walk with the Lord. It's experience of, of learning to cast my cares upon the Lord because he cares for me. Learning that. Not hearing another sermon on it. Learning that because guess what? For all these years I've carried these cares. And one day it clicked. And I brought it to the Lord. And I cast my cares upon the Lord. And I found that peace that the Bible talks about. We have to learn it. We have to learn it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, but the faith will give it. Hearing the word will strengthen our faith to do what God's word has said. That's just an example, but it's not just a head knowledge. It's the, literally the school of Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. He didn't say, take my yoke and learn about me. And I know that you know this. If you've ever seen a yoke, maybe some old agriculture museum or something where you've seen a yoke, uh, they're, they're used to hook two together, two ox and two whatever animals together and make them work as one. So they're literally put their necks in. Both these ox put their necks in a yoke. Their, the yoke comes from top and bottom and clamps around and makes them work as a team. And Jesus says, take my yoke and learn of me. So I'm not just from a distance or reading books just about the Lord. I'm yoked together with Christ. And Christ has been rejected, and we're going to be rejected too. He says, you're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake, but rejoice in that. He says, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. Because they don't know me, and they don't know you. And when they reject you, he says, they're not just rejecting you. They're really, really rejecting me. And we're going to learn what that's like, and we're learning what that's like. We're also going to learn the fellowship of his suffering and the joy that comes with that, that other people don't know. And either other Christians that don't experience that or are not willing to experience that don't know it. We learn it. We learn it by walking with the Lord. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's not a liar. He says, my yoke, because we're learning of him and we're yoked with him. Who's the one doing all the, the work? Jesus is. Who's the one making all the decisions and has the wisdom? The Lord is. Who's the one that is greater than the devil? The Lord is. I want to be yoked with him. I'm walking with him. He says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to walk with the Lord. Amen. He said everywhere in all things he learned to be content. I want to read this from a commentary. I'll say this, that Paul said, nay, and all these things were more than conquerors, right? All these things, nakedness and famine and persecution, nay, and all these things that looks ludicrous to the world that doesn't know the Lord. They don't know what you're talking about. They, if the world looked at a persecuted Christian in Saudi Arabia or China or North Korea who's starving and they're separated from their family and their church has been burned down and their house has been burned down and all their possessions have been taken and they're living off of something that would probably make us 
vomit if we ate it. And Paul says, and the word of God says, no, we're more than conquerors in all these things. The world says, what are you talking about? Conquering. They don't see. They don't know. They don't understand. Either we believe this or we don't. And if you don't believe it, you need to. And this world knows nothing about what we're talking about. The world would say, maybe have pity. They'd probably be indifferent but possibly have pity just for the human suffering aspect of it and say that they're a victim. Paul was not a victim. Amen? And when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're not a victim. It's not poor me. I'm just a victim. Nobody cares for me. It is a blessed secret when the believer learns how to carry a high head with an empty stomach, an upright look with an empty pocket, a happy heart with an unpaid salary, joy in God when men are faithless. And so we're not, we're not victims, and we're not victims of our circumstances, and we're not victims uh, underprivileged because of our upbringing or something like that. We're more than conquerors through him that loves us. He says that. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. And we need to remember that. It's not, we're not as Christians to go along with a, our chin dragging the ground and, and letting everybody know that we're going through it. Not that we're fake, but there has to be a real joy and peace from the Lord that sustains us and holds us up. When that woman, and I'm just now thinking of this in the Old Testament, that uh, I think it was Elijah had ministered to and her son died and, and they went running after Elijah and says, and, and says, in the, in the, Elijah said, is all well. Is, and she goes, it's well, it's well. Her son was dead. Her young son had just died. And she was going to find the prophet to, to tell him so that he could raise him from the dead. But when Elijah said, is everything well with you? Is everything well with your husband? Is everything well with the child? It is well. And she, she wasn't whining, but she needed something from the Lord. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It is a way to go through persecutions with the strength of the Lord, with the wind in our sails, so to speak. There's a way to go through hard times and sicknesses and, and financial troubles and family problems. And there's a way to go through these things in persecution for Christ where, where God upholds us and we're not just poor, pitiful victims, where there's a victory in it, not just when we're out of it, on the backside of it, which is going to happen. And I, I, this is something that Paul learned. I don't think people felt sorry for Paul. I don't think he wanted them to feel sorry for Paul. When Paul was in prison, he was winning people to the Lord. So there had to be something in him that they desired it would even give heed to him and listen to, right? He, he got to win. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy, I think he talks about even people that were in I'm not sure which epistle it's in, but he talked about even them of, of Caesar's household that had gotten saved because of him. Maybe servants, maybe people that were coming in and out waiting on him. They didn't feel sorry for him. He probably felt had compassion on them because they didn't know Christ, right? So it's just something that, that God helps us to learn, is this contentment that we learn. And he walked in the footsteps of his Savior. It wasn't something strange. Don't think it's strange, Peter said, when these fiery trials try you, as though some strange thing's happening to you. He was just walking in the footsteps of Jesus. 
He was walking where the Lord had already been and where the Lord was with him currently. Amen? We have to remember that every time we're persecuted, the Lord is right there with us. Even the Lord said to Saul on his way to persecute Christians, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? All those believers that Saul was persecuting, Christ was identifying with them. Saul, you're persecuting me. So when Paul later was being persecuted for righteousness' sake, he knew what that meant. The Lord's, the Lord's being persecuted. There's a fellowship with the Lord in all of this. Amen. And so I think it's very important to understand that Paul knew he was in the will of God. I want to touch on that just for a moment. It's important that we know that we're in the will of God. If I just go out there and do something of my own volition and it doesn't turn out well and I suffer for it, God can still help me, and I know he would help me. I'd come and say, Lord, I don't know what I was thinking. I got out there on my own. It wasn't your will. He still is merciful and would help us, okay? But it's different when we know that we're in the will of God. And when God leads us down into a valley and he's with us, and then he leads wherever. He, he led Paul, and Paul was in prison, but he was in prison in the will of God, and he knew it. He knew this is the will of God. This isn't, oh, my goodness, what happened? I don't understand what happened to me. Lord, where are you? It wasn't like that. He was in the will of God, and he was in prison. He was in the will of God, and he was beaten. He was in the will of God, and he was stoned. He was in the will of God, and he was shipwrecked, right? He was in the will of God, and he knew it. And it's very important that you and I are in the will of God and that we know that we're in the will of God. It makes a difference in our attitude and how we go through it when we understand this is God's will. Instead of complaining, murmuring, and grumbling, we're saying, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know that you're with me. I don't understand it, but I know this is your will. And I accept it because it's your will. Now, let's close with this verse 13 that we all know. And I said, I've seen it in high school locker rooms. I've seen it all over the place. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What a wonderful verse. I, I've seen it kind of misapplied. I've seen it used uh, just to fit one's own desires. Okay, where they take this scripture, uh, I can bench press 500 pounds because Christ is going to strengthen me. I cannot, okay, not even close. That's not what this scripture is talking about. I can do this, I can do that. Uh, athletes use it, people use it. And I know the Lord can help a person athletically, and I know the Lord does help people athletically, but I'm not, I don't believe that's what the scripture, in context of what he's been talking about. He just says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be hungry, and I've learned to, to be full. And I'm instructed to be content when, when I'm abased or humiliated or humbled or have very little or where I abound and have more than enough. I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And so you have to draw, and this is what Paul had learned, we have to learn to draw on Christ's strength. It has to be his strength. It is Christ which strengthens us. And to be content in all things, Paul had to be strengthened by the Lord. He said he learned it. This is not something he always, this was not a natural trait of Saul. Of this wasn't even a, a, a natural trait of the the saved Paul this was something as he walked with Christ day by day he learned 
The Lord taught him. It was the school of Christ. Don't run from those things, by the way. We don't go out looking for trouble. There's enough trouble around. You don't have to look for it. There's enough heartache around. You don't have to look for it. There's enough persecution around. You don't have to look for it. But we ought not run from it either. We are, we are Christ, and we're his, and he's teaching us, and he's growing us. Gas prices are going up. Well, the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Is it all about sin? Yeah, I think it's all about sin, just like everything else that's wrong with our country. But the Lord knows it. And we're Christians, and we're Christians now, and he knows what we have to pay for, whatever it may be. We're, we don't have to whine about it. We can pray about it, and we keep moving on. This is God's will, and we can be content. Are you discontented? I'll ask myself the same question. Am I discontent? contented because I don't have what I want. If I am or if you are, we need to learn to learn that contentment. We need to learn to rely upon God's promises. We need to learn to rely upon God's power. There's nothing I could say. There's not uh, nothing that just could be spoken from the pulpit that would do it. Certainly we give the scriptures and then we have to believe them. We have to receive and we have to walk it out with the Lord. But are you discontented because you don't have what you want? Could be materially, monetarily, could be health, could be looks, could be anything, strength in your body. Are we discontented? We need to learn to rely upon the Lord, his promises and his power and allow him to strengthen you. I think a lot of times we ask for things from, from God and we ask for strength for the circumstance, but we don't, we don't allow him to strengthen us. We don't tarry in his presence and allow him to fill us with his spirit or to encourage us or to lift the burden. We might throw up the, the prayer, hoping he takes it, but God wants us to learn these things. Amen? And so if we're always focused more on what we want and what we don't have and that type of thing, we need to ask God for contentment. Paul didn't focus on these things. You never see him. He knew what was going on. He didn't have his head, you know, buried. He wasn't in denial. He was very real, but he was very much trusting the Lord. Paul did not focus on what he thought he should have or what he deserved from the Lord for all this hard work but he focused on what he was supposed to do. What is your will, God? Where do you want me to be? Again, he wasn't a victim. This world is filled with victims. Everybody that considers, not everybody, but so many consider themselves victims. They're a victim of their circumstances, of their upbringing, or this. And, you know, some of the people that have done the greatest things in, in this world have been people that didn't have both parents, they didn't have a good upbringing, they didn't, you know, they didn't have the financial blessings. Those are just excuses. And this world system right now is catering to that and feeding into that to make everybody a victim. We're not victims, amen? If we're in Christ, we're certainly not victims. Paul didn't focus on what he thought he deserved, but he focused on what God would have him to do. And he was content to do that. And he focused on the Lord, amen? He focused on what he, who he belonged to. He left the other stuff to the Lord. Whether he was released from prison and, and blessed financially in some way or whether he was suffering hunger, he, he learned to be content. Amen. He left that part up to the Lord. 
And so God blessed him for that, and he did learn it. Amen? Believers can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You say, well, I can't just forgive them. I just can't forgive them. Yes, you can. Is it hard? Yeah. I can't, I can't forgive what they did to me. I can't forgive. I can't keep up this schedule that God has, you know, put before me. I can't do this work that he's called me to do. Yes, you can. You can. And you know who's going to get the glory for it? God is. Because you can't in your own strength, and neither can I. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's very important. Remember when I said a moment again, Paul knew he was in the will of God. We have to know that we're in the will of God. If I go out and attempt something miraculous, something that's, that a person can't do, sometimes God calls us to do that. But if I just try it on my own and fall, fall flat on my face, it doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't strengthen my faith. It doesn't build up other believers. So we're not tempting the Lord. That should not tempt the Lord your God. We don't just try something. You have to know you're in the will of God. And I believe that's what this scripture is talking about. You and I absolutely can. And I'm not going to put any uh, qualifications on this. We can do all things, whatever he would call us to do. Moses was used to part a sea. You can't do that. He's one human being. An Army Corps of Engineers couldn't do it, Okay. He was one person with a rod in his hand. But the Lord says, you do that. Command the people to go forward, Moses. Stretch out your rod over the sea and part it. He told him to do it. He told Noah, who was an old man at the time, to build an ark. Big enough to put all those animals on it and to sustain them roughly for a year until they got back off of that thing. You can't do that. Well, you can through Christ who strengthens you. Here's the key. Believers can do all things that God calls them to do. Believers can do all things that God calls them to do. If you just go out and try something and, and are misappropriating some promise or some scripture and misusing it, God is not ob obligated to back you up on that. Okay? The, the Satan, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, tried to, took him to the, the top of the temple and told him to cast himself off the highest point of the, of the temple. And says, well, it's written that God in, Psalm, in the Psalms that, you know, God will bear you up on, your, on his wings lest you dash your foot against the, the rock. And, and Jesus said, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he didn't jump off the temple. He's not going to obey the devil. I'll tell you what he did do. He did go to the cross and die. And he rose again the third day, and Satan couldn't stop that. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You can do everything that he calls you to do. Everything. And don't limit him on that. And don't say, well, this is impossible. Well, that, that's what he specializes in. But make sure that you've heard from God. And then step out. Amen? Step out of the boat. Peter did walk on water. He didn't do it every time he wanted to. He did it when Jesus said, come. If that's really you, Lord, bid me come unto thee. Come on, Jesus said. Well, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. He knew he was called to at that moment to do that. And so that's the key to me of this, this verse right here. And uh, that 
Well, I'll just read this verse real quickly in Matthew 17, 20. And Jesus said unto them, unto them this is when they couldn't cast out the, the demon out of the demon-possessed boy. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And so all these things are possible. We can do all things. Don't limit the Lord. He's not going to do anything contrary to his will. He's not going to do anything through your life contrary to his word or his will. But anything and everything he calls us to do, he's going to enable us to do. I'll, I'll read this from uh, Colossians 1.29. Paul says, whereunto I also labor. So Paul says, I'm working, okay, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. What is that saying? That's the Lord working through Paul to fulfill God's will through Paul till he's through with Paul and calls him to heaven and rewards him. And he'll have another vessel. We're vessels, amen? We're vessels that God uses. And if we'll, if we'll empty ourselves out, he'll fill us up with the supernatural, the dunamis power of Almighty God. And he'll work through us, amen? He desires to. I'm going to bring this to a close, but what... What Christ wants us to do and calls us to do, I know that you've heard this before, but what he wants us to do and calls us to do, he enables us to do. It's a simple truth, but it's a wonderful truth, amen? Lord, you sure you want me to do this? I can't do that. You know, whatever he calls us to do, he enables us to do. He absolutely never puts on us more than he enables us to do. Whether it's the length of the service or the the difficulty of the service or whatever it may be, he never puts on us more than we can bear. I think about these martyrs that were burned at the stake. How in the world did they do that? How did they do that when they're really, they're watching their friends burn and they're next? You know, when just recant. Just say this little line and sign this paper and you can walk away free. How do they not sign the little paper and walk away free and alive, fully alive with their clothes on, tied up to a stake, and burned, knowing that they're, they're going to go through that. How do you do that? Well, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I, I know I've read, you've probably read Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of these other books, real names of real people that died for their faith, and, and these that were like clapping their hands and singing in the fire. How do you do that? Singing to Jesus says to their tongues melted out of their mouth. That is supernatural, right? It's, they can do all, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's what the verse is talking about. It's being strengthened to do his will no matter what it is. All things are all things. And so a living Christ on the inside is more than sufficient to endure all the circumstances on the outside. Living Christ on the inside. We can do all things. Paul's not being prideful when he says that. I can do all things. There's no pride in it. You know what he's doing? He's testifying to the power of God, to the ability of God, to the goodness of God. And he had, he had no confidence in his flesh, but he had full confidence in the Lord. Amen? I'm going to close with um, a few thoughts here. You can come on up if you would. The Christian need not sink under any trial, for there is one who is strong to strengthen us. 
We need not yield to temptation, for there is one who is able to deliver us. We need not to be vexed or tortured with improper thoughts and unholy desires, for there is one who is able to banish evil thoughts from the mind and cleanse all sin from the heart. The believer need not dread death, nor dread the time when he must stand before God, for the shepherd of our souls will go with us through the valley of the shadow. And he has promised that if we confess him before men, he will confess us before the heavenly father. Amen. And this is the Lord that we serve. We don't have to fear anything. We can do all things that, through Christ who strengthens us. But I'll say, I think one of the keys for us personally as a church and individuals, we need to know we're in God's will. It's not a secret. He wants to tell you. He wants to show you. If we're out of his will, he can correct us. He can bring us back in. He's able to do that. We got way off track somewhere. He can guide us and bring us right back. Amen? But we need to know that we're in his will. And if we're suffering, that we're suffering in the will of God. And we need to be content in it. We need to have joy in the midst of it that the world doesn't know. Y'all stand with me tonight. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and y'all, the altars are open. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, if we consider ourselves victims, if we feel sorry for ourselves, if we're, if we're filled with fear, thinking, how could I ever suffer for Christ? How could I ever endure such afflictions as Paul? Lord, teach us to rely upon you. We have no confidence in the flesh. We have full confidence in our Lord and Savior. God, if we're discontent, we're discontented because we don't think we've gotten a fair shake in life. And we deserve more. God, actually what we deserve is punishment and death for our sins. That's what we deserve. But you haven't dealt with us according to our sins, but according to your mercy. God, help us not to focus on those things. Help us to, to live for your glory. Help us to trust you for things that are bigger than we are. Help us to trust you to use us in this day and age right now to do miracles. Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Strengthen your people tonight, God. Fill us with a fresh new filling of the Holy Spirit tonight. And help us to be a happy, content, contented people, Lord God. We love you tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, God.